Well, hello there. It's another day. I'm Jim Harrington. And I am Bill Knight. Hope everything's going well. Did you vote yesterday, by the way? I not only primaries here in the state of Pennsylvania. I not only vote, but I got my sticker. You got a sticker? Uh huh. When I was wow. when I was leaving the place, you know, after I had voted, uh, I got this neat sticker. I got to tell you something. The experience about my voting, I don't know whether it's this way all around Pennsylvania, but for years, we had voting machines. That you walked over, you you entered your information to the ballot, and you hit, oh, you got the you paper hit, ballot is what you're telling me. And you hit enter, right? You hit enter, and that was that. You know and that was you walked away. So yesterday, I'm in the uh, the voting place. You know it wasn't very busy either, by the way. I think these no. day, I was like 210. I went there like at two o'clock in the yeah. afternoon, and I was like the 210th person who had gone through and voted. So. I don't know how the voting was overall yesterday. But anyway, I go there, and I, I enter all of my information. I'll vote for this guy over that guy, and this lady over that guy, and this. And, and I enter it all, and then I hit the button that says print. And I'm thinking, well, I guess that means they're printing it to, they're digitally printing it into the system. Hmm. No, 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 no. All of a sudden, I hear, and a big, long piece of paper comes out with all of my all of my uh, d- choices on it, and a barcode. And I'm standing there like a doofus in the middle of the room. So I turned to the, the person across the way, and, of course, being the subtle person that I am, I, I yelled, is this a receipt? <laughs> and, of course, everybody who was in the know started to laugh, like, look at the buffoon. And, uh, no, sir, no, 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 you have to take that and put it in this machine by the door. I thought, well, this is different, and I went over and I, like a do, like a good young man that I'm not anymore, I put the paper in the machine, it swallowed it, and then they gave me my little sticker. <laughs> but, but at least you got stickers. See, you live in a Democrat county. No, See. no, 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 you think I do because you you think I live in that one that starts with an A, right? That's, yeah, that's literally twenty feet down the road. No, I live in Washington County, which is not. Oh, well, lucky you. Yeah, I live in uh, you know conservative county too. Uh-huh. You know now. Now we didn't have the machines we used to. Uh huh. They had problems with them. So, as a matter of fact, the booths that you went into, they were yeah. cardboard booths. I was wondering if I could take one home when they were done, so I could make an addition <laughs> to my house. You know, staple it to the wall and that. <laughs> I don't, you know, closet out of it or something. This I don't is our, know. This is our tax money being spent. Um, instead of changing the process where there are less machines, and maybe they figured, by the way, that by giving you a paper ballot after you had picked your choices, that was a more democratic thing. I mean, you you had a chance to look at the at the quote receipt, make sure you had all your information on it, and then mm-hmm. feed it into another machine. But yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I, well, I, I had the expedited ballot. They said, do you want that? And I said, sure. Only one box to check on. And I checked it. I said, good, you voted. <laughs> yes. You walked in there. There was two two things. Yes, no. <laughs> no, I didn't even have that. Just uh, vote, check. And that was it. Well. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, it, it, but it was a paper ballot. I was kind of surprised. I um, 
I wasn't expecting that, a paper ballot, but okay. You know, in one way I was going, what? And the other way I was going, oh, okay. Was it a full paper ballot? I mean, do you have a machine at all? Oh, you didn't have a machine at all. You, but you scan it in. Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah, so and it may so it makes you wonder about a, a lot of stuff like oh. that. Like there was one particular category where you know there was nobody to vote for. You could write in somebody. Mm-hmm. So I wrote in my name. Uh, but uh, <laughs> did you win? Because yeah, because I had the Republican ballot, and and you know I'm sitting there going, oh okay. So and I even said, well, what's the deal with this? They're all Democrats that are running, so you don't get to vote in that unless you want to write somebody in. I said, good, I'll write myself what, in. And what was the position you were writing yourself in for? I think it was bureau council, which is probably, oh, it's not, you know. It's not, like, it's not like a judgeship or something like that. Because no, there I, was a couple write-ins there, too, you know, and I was just like, what? I mean, do I have you to know? call you your honor now or something? <laughs> you know, your honor. And now the honorable Bill Knight. <laughs> Uh, judge, continue. No. <laughs> you know, you never, this is a strange world we're living in because, you know, we just went through all of this discussion about machines, voting machines, right? So you would have thought they would have, obviously in your county, they took it seriously to a certain extent and you had a paper ballot, right? But then yeah, again, but you then had then to you scan, scan it, in. it in. But see, here's the thing. In my, my county, it became a two-machine process. I entered this, the information into the first machine. Then they gave me a piece of paper from that machine, which I scanned into the second machine. My question which, is this. What if they were taking the vote of the first machine? <laughs> what if the first well, machine was the real machine? I mean, well, it could have been, but then think about this. Mm-hmm. You know, after you vote in the one machine, you get a, you get a, a ticket, uh-huh. and you put it in the other machine. Yes. And what machine does that machine communicate to the big machine, the mother of all machines, that <laughs> that takes all the votes from uh, all the different, you know, precincts? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, we're just pawns. They, they, they just want us to, to feel good. Yes, go vote. Yes, <laughs> like it means something. Go ahead, really, go ahead. Yeah, go go vote. <laughs> well, okay, you know, you're <laughs> explaining uh, to me about a guy that's uh, from uh, uh, the heir to Levi. Uh, oh yeah, Strauss, I got, I, in, you know, and he's a he's a congressman or something or well, yeah, uh, what? A, it, it was an interesting little uh, conversation. Uh, the guy's name is Dan Goldman. And I think he's the heir. Don't go away. I have it here in my stack of stuff. Um, he is a, okay. He's the heir to Levi. Is it Levi Strauss? Uh, mm-hmm. I, well, you know, well all, my point is he's worth millions. Yes, he is. He doesn't need money, so why would he run for this political office? And then he's a pompous ass to begin with, it sounds like. Well, don't take my word for it. Here's the here's the the little uh, conversation between Julio Rosa. Julio Rosa is a Marine. Or, you know, he's. They say there's never a retired or ex-Marine. You are always a Marine once you're mar- a Marine. You just active or inactive. He's inactive. He's a reporter for Townhall.com. He has been out on the front lines of uh, the riots in. Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis. Uh, he has been magnificent. I've seen his reporting. And he was being belittled by this pompous 
arrogant Dan Goldman. And, uh, I mean, Dan Goldman at one point, listen to this, he'll say, he'll say, we're supposed to take your word over the director of the FBI. And I'm thinking, is this guy Goldman paying attention to what's going on in the news? The director of the FBI, I think yesterday they actually filed articles of impeachment against him. But that's another story. Here's the mm -hmm. conversation that went on between Julio Rosa and Dan Goldman. You're trying to get us, uh, gaslight us up here as if Antifa, which Mr. Rosas, apparently the expert now in organized terrorist activity, has overruled the FBI director who says, there's a headline, says Antifa is an ideology, not an organization. No, no, no. Let's not listen to the FBI director. Let's listen to, sorry, what's your, your title? Senior writer at Town Hall who is going to tell us that the FBI director is wrong, and I'd like to yes. introduce. There's no question. I think it's funny to be to be lectured by an heir to the Levi Strauss uh, Corporation, and, and that, honestly, that's probably why he uh, doesn't consider property damage to be that big of a deal. Because not only does he have that, but he also has uh, what some would describe an impossibly good stock portfolio. Um, but what I can tell you is that in these riots that happened uh, three years ago, they. Uh, yes, big corporations uh, did suffer damage and looting, such as Target. That, that would happen in Minneapolis. Uh, but a lot of the businesses, they were small businesses. They didn't come from multi-million dollar uh, families or, or corporations. And so uh, the, the fact that they had to uh, not only deal with the completely unnecessary uh, COVID restrictions that were happening during that time. So the, their, their bottom line was already being hit by that. But then when you add on now having to replace lost inventory or to repair damage, or in some cases be completely uh, you know, lose your entire business uh, that happened to a family that I know in Kenosha. Um, the, when you take, I mean, you're taking away people's ability to, to live, to livelihood. A friend of mine said that uh, taking away someone's job like that is just a, ha a baby step away from murdering them because how else are they support to, supposed to support themselves? I'm not going to issue that. So I, I, I think uh, it was absolutely disgraceful for uh, Congressman Goldman to try to just denigrate my, my title because it's not just a title. I, I've earned it because I was there chewing the dirt uh, in these dangerous situations. I didn't see him in any of those places. Uh, I was there in New York covering, uh, uh, New York City covering uh, some pretty violent protests there. And I'm also not just uh, a writer, but I served honorably in the Marine Corps Reserves. Uh, and I was very proud of that. And so uh, that's just typical elitist uh, thinking. And uh, that's why a lot of people hate Washington, D.C. And honestly, I, I don't blame them. <laughs> that, kid, that kid shredded Goldman. I think Goldman, when, by the time Julio Rosas was done, uh, I think Dan Goldman was on the floor. Uh, but he had such an arrogant way about him. I wish I could show you the video. He mm -hmm. just just sort of looked down his nose like, who are you, uh, a reporter? Oh, my God. And, and you're coming here and telling us we should believe you, you riffraff, you, as opposed to Christopher Ray, that giant of, uh, of legality, that... Uh, that godlike figure at the FBI, who, by the way, has been been manipulating everything. I got a story here. Speaking of Christopher Ray, you know they, I did mention before we went into that audio clip that they are, uh, they're going to try to impeach him. I think it was Marjorie Taylor Greene issued the articles of impeachment yesterday. But you know, Christopher Ray, there's a document 
that came from his desk telling his agents to look into uh, Catholics. Catholics are something to really uh, be concerned about. They, especially devout Catholics. I mean, if you are a devout Catholic, mm, the FBI may be knocking at your door. You know, they have they have spies going to the FBI churches on, on the weekend. Oh, yeah. To yeah, they do, and then they want uh, also the uh, uh, the congregation to spy on their own church. So they, they yeah, it's crazy what they're doing now. I mean, uh, there are so many things that you could say, and so many freedoms that are um, not even on the table; they're out the door. You know, on Tuesday, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia introduced articles of impeachment against FBI Director Christopher Wray. Yeah, She wrote, I just introduced articles of impeachment against FBI Director Christopher Wray. Under his watch, the FBI has intimidated, harassed, and entrapped Americans who have been deemed enemies of the Biden regime. Wray has turned the FBI into Joe Biden and Merrick Garland's personal police force. Christopher Wray needs to be impeached. That's from Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, there are only a handful of people in in uh, Congress who are standing up to these people. She's one of them, and she's mocked for it, and she's belittled. And I I would dare say at times she's putting herself in jeopardy. You know, if you'll remember, it was her house that was swatted like three or four times. I think it was last summer. You know, Mm -hmm. they would get uh, the police in her town would get phone calls saying there were gunmen in her house and uh, her family's being held hostage. And the police would race there with full body armor and, and uh, the ready to, to go to it with whoever was there. And it was a lie. She was there by her, you know, with, her, with her family sleeping. Yeah, you got to wonder who, who was making those calls. Was it, uh, you know, or, or if it was just a... Um you know, uh, a checklist uh, from the FBI. Okay, we got to do this, 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 and this. You know, it's like plays in a football team, you know, that they're just doing this stuff. It was intended harassment, you know, and it was, you know, to rattle her cage. Well, um, she has issued that article article of impeachment. But where did they go to get their reputation back? I'm talking about all the people who got their reputations damaged from this Russia hoax that was proven in this Durham report. If you read the Durham report, by the way, mm. it may not say we should in, uh, indict certain people. It doesn't come up with indictment recommendations, but it is incredibly damning to Biden, Obama, and his, you know, Christopher Ray. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The, the Durham report's 316 pages. When you think about it, that for this kind of report and how long it took, that's really not as many pages as you might think, but, you know, it's it's a book. It's like a novel. But either way, so a lot of people don't want to read that much content, so they really don't know what's in it. They look for the PowerPoints, but thanks to the media from the left, they actually provide the PowerPoints for you. Their interpretation of the PowerPoints or what they mm-hmm. think that you should know or twist what they what's in it and that's what that's what you're seeing in the news i i don't know if i mentioned it before on air or on air but you know i mentioned usa today the the headline in there where you know trump was right 
Russia collusion was a hoax. Good luck regaining public trust. And that right there says the whole story of everything. So in other words, every story you hear that's out there, there's an anti uh, you know, anti-right this, anti-right that. Oh, no, no, that's fake news. Uh, the fake news is the story that they're, they're telling you, and it's all to sit there and diminish somebody's reputation. And do, you know, do you know they're still doing it? <clears throat> to, yeah. Right now, they're still hanging on to the Russia hoax, even after this long Durham report, you say 316 pages. I think... That was just the right size because, you know, anything longer, you'll lose your audience. What uh, what was the big paper that uh, came out with that story, the big lefty paper, the Post? Washington Post. Yes, and they got a Pulitzer yeah. over that story. Now, their comment, well, what do you say now? Yeah, they, they stand by the fraudulent uh, Trump-Russia collusion story. Yep. And... You know what? They're going to keep their damn award. No, you yeah. know what? I think you it should be taken back. You know, and you need to print. You know, it used to be if somebody said something that was wrong about you, you got a retraction. They might bury it on the last page, but you got a retraction. But let me ask you a question: In a communist country, in a socialist country, does the media ever retract its stories? Ever? No. no. They their attitude is. Damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. We have So what we've done is taken a page from communism and we became a communist uh state too. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Nice to know. Yeah. Well, you know, we did it. We didn't do it. You and I didn't do it. It was the people in Washington who under the table did it. I mean, by putting key people in in positions of power in DC, you you're able to completely change the structure of our government. But, you know, I was, mm-hmm. I was going to tell you, Bill, they didn't recommend any, any indictments, and a lot of people were, you know, talking about that. You know, it was such a well-done report, and it showed such corruption in our government. Why didn't they recommend indictments? And somebody said something yesterday. I forgot. I listened to a lot of people yesterday. but somebody, I know you do. Somebody smiled and said, let me tell you why they didn't indict. They didn't indict because the indictments would end up being in D.C. courts. Mm. And all the D.C. courts are controlled by the left. Yeah. So they had one indictment from this uh, Durham report about a year and a half ago. And the guy who was indicted was found innocent and got his law license back. He's practicing law already. But he was he was he guilty? Or was he innocent? He was technically found innocent, but a lot of people believe that was a bad decision. Well, you know, if you own the if you own the legal system in D.C., what good is it to indict people if they have to go in front of judges that are already, you know? Well, we've known that D.C. has been corrupt for a while, and the way I look at D.C., it's like, you know, you, you go out and you're in the sun too long, you get a little spot in your arm, skin cancer, and it might be just a little like freckle or a dot. What does it do? It grows. Unless you treat it and take it out, it grows. Mm-hmm. Well, the corruption in Washington, we've never fixed Washington. 
and it has grown. It's a cancer in our society, and it's grown, and it's spread throughout the land. And now we we have these rogue judges everywhere. So you're wondering why you can't get a fair shake? We let that cancer grow. But I think that there's more that can be done that we're not looking at. I mean, I think that what's happening is a lot of people in Congress who have seen the report are going to use that report to, to go after certain people who have committed crimes. Whereas before we, we waited for indictments, you know, for them to go in front of uh, judges. And the, then we've always been disappointed because the judges are corrupt. Mm-hmm. Now the AOCs of the world and all of these people are out there in the news the, on the left now they're saying that, oh, yeah, look at them. They're, they're weaponizing their office. They're weaponizing the government. We're doing that. And I'm sitting there going, boy, is that not the pot calling the kettle black? Yeah. You know, l- let me tell you something. You've weaponized all along. And I, what's sad is I just think, you know, well, I don't think. I know politics is like a pendulum. It swings back and forth. You know, I think we're going to go through a long period of time to where, you know, whoever's in power weaponizes their office and they're going to try to take down the other side and chip away at each side because uh, it's, a, it's a war game of total annihilation of the other side. You want total control. I think it's different. It's terrible. I, I know what you're saying, but I think there's, there's a difference. I don't think it's even Stephen. I don't think. No, it's, it's not. It's not the Democrats going against the Republicans and then the Republicans getting power and then just going after the Democrats. I think there's a party that is corrupt, and they have behind them a deep state system, which is even more corrupt, that is the source of their corruption. And I think the other party, for the most part, with some exceptions, the other party is, mm, it's it may have some corruption in it, but not to the extent that the Democratic Party has. So there's an imbalance there. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah, well, if you if you ask me my true feelings of what's going on, you know, my true feelings are we like to think that we have control and we have say. That's what we believe this nation is about. And you would think by looking at the news and hearing us talk, that is what it's about. But and basically I'm saying we're pawns in this game too because I think politics is just a show and a distraction for us not to see who's really pulling the strings, oh, which yeah. is what you're saying, the deep state. Yeah. You know, the Republicans and the Democrats, this is just a, you know what kind of show it is. You know, Bill, where, how does it make sense that a country throws away its borders and, and just allows itself to be overrun by strangers? I mean, does it make sense to you? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, so what country in its right mind would do this unless they had a, an evil, destructive reason for doing so? Not the superficial, oh, everybody needs a chance to grow. And we all come from, I heard this over the weekend, we all come from immigrants. And I, I scream at my TV, yes, we came from immigrants who came to this country legally, you know, even if it was a time when, the immigration system was as wasn't as uh, as sophisticated as it is now. 
You know, people say, well, the system right now is slow and cumbersome and people have to wait. And maybe back in 1900, they got off a boat and they had to wait a couple of weeks at Ellis Island and then they were let into the country. Or maybe in 1865, they just walked down a gangplank and raised their right hand and became Union soldiers, which was the case in many in many uh, situations. But we've never had a situation where we just said, out of hell with it, come on across the border. Yeah, we don't care. You come across, we'll give you a cell phone, we'll give you a few bucks in your pocket and a room to stay for a few weeks. You know, hey, don't worry about it. We'll get you a room because we're throwing some vets out. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah, that's what that's what's happening right now. There are oh, yeah. veterans who are losing their housing because we're giving it to the illegals. Well, I think it's going to go beyond the veterans uh, soon. You know, I I really do. You know, it's uh, we really don't have rights. We real you don't own the property that you think you own. I mean, we if if you really dig down deep, you know, you buy a place, you have a deed, mm-hmm. but ultimately in time. It's the government's. It goes right back to them, and they can take and seize your land for whatever they re, uh, what, for whatever reason they want at any time, any day, and and give it to they call an illegal. Eminent, use it for whatever. Eminent domain. That's mm-hmm. that's what it's called. They can legally steal your property for whatever. And reason. they don't have to give you a squat for it. They really don't. We'll give you so. fair market value. Try, yeah, right. Yeah, you on the market, you may get uh, half a million dollars for your house. They might give you a hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars. Oh, if they give you that, you know, now, yeah. and you know, they can do other things too because your fair market value goes down once they say, "Oh, let's say that you got you live on a multi-million dollar block," mm-hmm. and they come in there and they go and they 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 get a house and they're going. We're going to take this house and uh, make it a low-income house, and uh, we're going to turn it into, we're going to subdivide this house, so it's going to house a lot of families, and hey, great for them. They do get a place to live, but now that, what you would call project home, also diminishes the value of everybody else on that block, so your property just went to hell in a handbasket because instead of taking the same amount of money and going to land that's not in use and building something there respectable and whatever, or coming up with a tangible program where these people can get, you know, into a place and, you know, become productive members of society. They don't do that. No. Well, (laughs) I don't know if I articulated exactly what I was trying to say there, but I'm just saying there's a better way of doing what they do and, you know, we we diminish, you know, they're diminishing the There's value. There's a better so, way to do so much everything. of what they do, you know. Um, hey, I don't know whether you heard about this uh, over in the Ukraine. Uh, this was The Patriot missile? Yeah. A U.S.-made Patriot air defense system was likely damaged but not destroyed as a result of a Russian missile barrage uh, in and around Kiev early on Tuesday morning. Uh, that missile system, I didn't realize this, Bill. $1.1 billion. That's with a B. <laughs> a B. $1.1 But that's okay. It came, from, it came from your taxpayer dollars, which you had to give anyway. You don't see it anymore. You don't feel it. So it's just a $1.1 billion. In the story, Bill, they said, they said they don't know how much damage it, it suffered, but uh, its personnel, meaning U.S. personnel, were evaluating it. And I'm thinking, wait a second. 
I thought we didn't have U.S. personnel over there. Right. Which, they they are we are we operating those Patriot missile systems for the Ukraine? Well, okay. Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. the Patriot missile system, you know, the pictures you see, right, is on a truck system, right? Right. Yep. And the thing lifts up, elevates up, right, and then you know it gets its trajectory, and then it fires its missiles. Sure. And it takes, you know, it takes its information information from a computer system, so it knows where to go and what to hit. Right. So there has to be somebody there to run it. Did we train everybody in a system that is so sophisticated and so good, and then just give it to them, or did we give it to them with the troops to run it? Properly. Well, that's what we don't know. But, and and I, I was under the impression we didn't have any soldiers over there. I, I think, uh, I, think I think we do. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I, I think we do. And, uh, but, you know, I will say this for the Patriot system, you know, because it was a heavy barrage of missiles from Russia. That was That is an incredible system that we've had for years. And to get the kind of attack that it got, sooner or later... You're going to hit it. When they and first when they first introduced it during the first Iraq war in 1993, right. it was not terribly accurate. But computers have become so sophisticated. Uh, they have been able to make it incredibly accurate now. The yeah. uh, the system. So they fine-tuned the software, okay? So yep. yep. You know, so what got damaged? Is it the computer system? Is it the software? Is there a component that we don't know about that got damaged? You know, $1.1 billion is a lot of dinero. You, can, and you know, it's not, whatever got damaged is going to cost a pretty penny to fix. Oh, yeah, probably about 10 times that. But see, I'm wondering if there's a, a system, because they, you know, when you say the Patriot missile system, okay, mm-hmm. but you see a, a bunch of trucks, not just one truck. So, you know, it's systems unless there is a system that controls and links them all. And maybe that's what got damaged. I don't know. They don't know if they can fix it there or, and see, that was the other thing. Do they, they also alluded that they would have to bring in special people to fix it or get it out of there and fix it, you know, somewhere else because it's so heavily damaged. Wow. So I thought that was interesting, Bill. Uh, And other things that, this is going to this is going to pique your curiosity because I know you. Um, MIT scientists have created a device that can hack your dreams. Yeah, I believe that. Listen, <clears throat> this is creepy. All right, listen. Sci- Wait a second. I have the appropriate music. This is uh, you have to run this music behind the story. All right. Scientists from MIT and Harvard have created a device that can reportedly hack into your dreams. IB Times reports a new device created by scientists at Harvard and MIT called the Dormio is capable of targeted dream incubation. The device is comprised of a glove connected to an app measuring the physiological response of someone who is sleeping. While the device is measuring physiological responses, an app connected to the device will give the person who is who is sleeping dream topics. So while you're sleeping, the computer gives you 
topics to dream about. So essentially, the device is capable of controlling your dreams. It can also it can also program you. It can change your dreams. And mm-hmm. you want to hear the real creepy, creepy, creepy part of this? Mm-hmm. It can videotape your dreams. It takes now the that's imp- creepy. It takes the impulses, right? They from its connection into a computer. The computer then translates it into an image, and whatever you were dreaming about is going to be on a video screen somewhere for somebody to see. No, so. think about this. I mean, there's a. We kind of talked about something like this uh, a while back, where there's a company, I believe it's down in New Jersey, that makes this weapon system that kind of projects this sonic thing or some kind of wave, whatever it is. What they could actually had a gun where they could sit there and program thoughts to people. So this is probably a big extension to that. But the fact that they can do video thing. Now, think about this. Let's say that they find a way to do it from afar, like that thing we talked about several months ago, and they could plant images in your mind or go into your mind Yes, and take a video or make a video, manipulate it, and set you up for something that you didn't do or yeah. program you to do something that you would never do. That's right. But they could make a video of it. Now, there's positive things that they could do. You know, if you were accused of a crime, I didn't do it. I wasn't there, and there was no way to prove it. Put him in the chair, put the probes on his head, and they could take a look at the video and for all the people to see and see what you're thinking, and then you could see if they did it or didn't do it or see who the real assailant was. This is almost... You know, we're, we're hearing about this, this now. This is Star trek This is a mind meld. We are hearing about this now, which means that it's been out for a while. Yeah. And you wonder who had it before they allowed it to leak to the press. Listen to this. Uh, a magazine, I guess I guess it's a magazine or a website called Futurism, it reported mm-hmm. that both Coors and Burger King were, quote, actively attempting to engineer the dreams of potential customers. That means business is slow. Can we get into somebody's head and make them want a hamburger? <laughs> well, you know? you know what? They can. You know, I mean, this goes back. Before they had all the computer manipulation, you know, people have known uh, about this for a while. You remember they used to, for Coca-Cola, they would take a one-second clip or a half a second. Called subliminal, um, subliminal uh, marketing. They, you know, yeah. they, they used to do it with popcorn in movie yeah, they did it with Yeah. Now, the other thing, McDonald's used to do it back in the 60s, and uh, it was called, you, you remember the, uh, the, the, the billboards, that uh, like the Burma shaved billboards, but mm-hmm. McDonald's used to, they did a thing back in the sixties where they found out when you watch TV, mm-hmm. you know, they, they had three seconds to, to actually, you know, get the attention and sell their product because the average person, the TV comes on or the commercial comes on the TV, they get up, they go to the bathroom, they go fix a sandwich, you know, maybe not necessarily in that order, but however, just don't get them confused. Um, and that was it. You know, and then they, they knew when to come back or they'd hear the program come back on and they go back and sit down and watch their show. So McDonald's sat there and said, okay, what do we do? And the, they, the technique is called simulconsciencing. So, and they took words that you would know, things that you would know because your mind either knows what the word is, so it makes the right choice, or it hears a word and it guesses. 
So you're 50, 50 or goes, I haven't, I haven't a clue. So it throws it away impression forever lost. And that's just the way that works. So what they would do is hungry. Your brain knows what that is. And then that what they would do is say, you know, like for a billboard hungry. Yeah, I am. You know, your brain's thinking and it goes McDonald's next exit, you know, Hey, or yeah. Hungry McDonald's great food. Now you've just sold the brain, you know, in, in this commercial, they got all the important things out. Everything after the first three seconds is all BS. Well, they, that's being used even to this day because how many times have you gone to a video and it'll start off with a commercial that you didn't, you didn't ask for. You wanted to see the video on YouTube and mm -hmm. it'll start off with a commercial and it'll give you five seconds of the commercial and then it'll say skip ad. Yeah. Because you know, they actually, got their five seconds that they needed. They got the important part in in the first five seconds. It's all been there, simulconsciencing. And maybe that was the mistake. Well, I think it was a mistake to do the whole thing, but the Bud Light thing with Mulvaney, you know, uh, right away you see a guy in drag with a beer. That told, that told everybody everything they needed to know. So they went about that commercial. If they were trying to sell wokeism like that, you know, they they sent the wrong message up first. It was the wrong one. Speaking of wrong messages, I don't understand Miller? this. Yeah, I have it here. Online commercial opens with uh, actress Alana Glazer claiming that women were the first to ever brew beer. I have the uh, audio from the commercial, and it. Uh, will you hear the beeping? That's where they say the word on the uh, on the commercial on the internet, so somebody was kind enough to uh, take the vulgarity out. But you can kind of guess what they're saying when you hear it. But um, what I don't understand is why a company like Miller would look at what just happened to Budweiser, their direct competitor, and not immediately scrub the internet of that commercial. People say, well, it came out in March before the Budweiser uh, fiasco. Well, maybe it did come out in March, but you would have thought that they would have gone out and grabbed it and gotten rid right of it. Right away, yeah, yeah. because uh, it might not have been as impactful as what the Budweiser thing did, but it draws attention to what they were doing, and it wasn't thought out very well. Well, here's, here's the audio to that commercial. Here's a little known fact. Women were among the very first to brew beer ever. From Mesopotamia to the Middle Ages to colonial America, women were the ones doing the brewing. Centuries later, how did the industry pay homage to the founding mothers of beer? They put us in bikinis. Wow. Look at this shit. Wild. It's time beer made it up to women. So today, Miller Lite is on a mission to clean up not just their shit, but the whole beer industry's shit. Miller Lite has been scouring the internet for all this shit and buying it back so that he can turn it into good shit for women brewers. Literally, good shit. How, you ask? Ladies, take it away. First, we turn the bad shit into compost. Then we feed compost to worms. Push out beautiful fertilizer. That good shit helps farmers grow quality hops. Which has been donated to women brewers to make their own really good shit. But there's definitely more shit out there. In your attic, in the garage, in your parents' basement. Send any shit you got into Miller Lite, and they'll turn that into good shit, too. 
So here's to women, because without us, there would be no beer. Okay, so basically that's about it. That's the Miller audio for the ad. Um, I find it amazing that it's when she says uh, women in bathing suits and she trivializes it. Uh, understand something. I've been in the media for uh, quite a long time. Those women who were in those bathing suits were probably the highest paid talent in the commercials. They made an enormous amount of money for modeling for Miller Beer. So don't feel sorry for them and don't feel like they were being put out because they were being paid an exorbitant amount of money. They were the ones who were making out on the deal, okay? So that's just a matter of fact. Yeah, and the fact is, you know, they're implying that women created and made beer and it's always been women all along. And actually, no, that's not true. And even they, at the very beginning, they said women were a part of beer from the beginning, you know, but they didn't say they actually were the first right. to do it. But then they, you know, the second line, they kind of took it over. Now, what's interesting about that campaign, Bud, Bud uh, Light is back with a new campaign. Oh, I know. You heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the long neck bottle. Now it's going to have a label in camouflage, you know, and, uh, as of what, a, sal uh, a salute to Memorial day, I believe. Um, yeah, I guess. You know what, though? Uh, you know, put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig, you know? So it's... Uh, i got to read you the comment from Miller, Bill. This video, this is from Miller Brewing. This mm -hmm. video was about two things. Worm poop and saying women shouldn't be forced to mud wrestle in order to sell beer. Neither of these things should be remotely controversial, and we hope... Beer drinkers can appreciate the humor and in parentheses and ridiculousness and parentheses of this video from back in March. I would say the ridiculousness comes from you guys in your marketing department. There, you know, like you said, Bill, women may have made beer at the house. They may have helped to refine it. They may have helped to to, but. You have to understand, in the time when beer came to the forefront, I hate to say this, ladies, because I come from a house filled with women, but it was a man's world. And the guys who, it wasn't brew uh, mistresses, it was brewmasters, okay? The brewmasters, because the guys were the people who were making the beer. Maybe the women made it at home. Maybe there were home brews that were made by the mom in the house. But in those days, and I'm not saying it was good, but understanding the historical times, it was a time when guys ruled the roost. They made the business decisions. They did the work. There's a program on the History Channel called The Men Who Made America, and they talked about the beer companies in the U.S., Mm -hmm. there, there wasn't one woman mentioned in, and I saw it. It's a two-hour, it was actually a six-hour program. And they didn't talk about a woman who was making the beer. Now, maybe that, and uh, no, not maybe. I'm sure we lost out on the deal because I'm sure a lot of smart, creative women could have done a better job in many cases. Good but, save. 
but thank you. But it's true. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I gotta, I gotta eat dinner tonight. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, back in seventeen hundred, you know, you didn't see women running businesses. It, it wasn't fair. It wasn't right. But it was the times. So for them to come out and say women made the beer during Mesopotamian days, no, I don't. If they made it, uh, they didn't carry the ball. The ball was carried by the the drunks who liked beer, <laughs> and they were guys. Um, so that I think that that's wrong. That's again the woke American uh, left trying to rework history. <clears throat> excuse me, to massage history and. Uh, I, I Look, think we're seeing a lot of that. When it comes to politics, when it comes to advertising and control of your mind, and that's what it's about, they manipulate. It's a war of words, you know, and you know the, the big qu- uh, phrase now is this matters, that matters, everything matters, words matter. And that's what, uh, like I mentioned earlier with the simulconsciencing, you can take certain words, power words, and say them and then tag them with whatever thing that you want to, uh, you know, we've always been at battle, whether it's over the races, over the sexist or whatnot. And that's people that are brokering these words for power. This Alana Glazer who did the uh, commercial talking about how women were dressed in swimsuits. Oh my God. They found on the internet. I saw this on Newsmax last night. Uh, she did a bunch of videos, uh, where she's, she's topless and she's promoting a product or something topless on the, on the internet. And I'm thinking, what hypocrisy? What hypocrisy? Well, you she, know, look, maybe, maybe she's going, oh, well, I'm a good-looking woman. I want to be worshipped. I want to be that goddess that's, you know, here it is, and you can't have it, and nobody wanted it. I don't know <laughs> what she looks like. And I'm just saying, oh, well, if nobody wants it, that, you know, and then she changed her tune. Uh, Or when you get a little bit older and and, uh, gravity takes its effect, yeah, you know. I have have one word, Bill, one word for this whole thing, yingling, yingling. All right, and if you know what that means, do an internet search. I think it's Y-E-U-N-G-L-I-N-G, I I think. It's It's a beer, yingling. And uh, it's one of the oldest. It's from the great state of Pennsylvania. And it's the third, I didn't know this, the third most popular beer in the country. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know if it's been that way forever. I do know, geez, going back about uh, uh, at least 10 years, maybe 15 years, it seemed it, you know, everything has a grassroots. You know, it starts as a cult thing and it grows up. There was a lot of college guys and gals that liked yingling. They just adopted the beer. Well, they have grown up, and as they've grown up, they've taken their stuff from their college years and whatnot with them, and it grows. I would also think that Sam Adams' beer will probably be uh, uh, growing in popularity, too, because how do you make Samuel Adams woke? I mean, I don't know how you do it. You know, Samuel Adams was a patriot back in the 1700s. And the, yeah. beer, the beer is named after him. So how would you make him woke? I'm sure there's a way they'll figure it out. But uh, 
I drove right by one of their breweries uh, in Lehigh Valley. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, what was it? La- yeah, last week because I sat there. We were out uh, at a Triumph dealership, a motorcycle dealership. So Going by that yeah. many times on uh, on Route 78 in Pennsylvania. You know yeah. it. Yeah, right many, there. Yeah, just times. before you get up to the turnpike. And yep. I, was, I never really paid attention to it. And I was driving, and it's really funny that I would see it while I'm driving because I never pay attention when I'm driving. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I look over to the right, and I go, Oh wow! I think oh, it used I'm, to be owned by I think it used to be owned by Stroh's or Schaefer. Yeah. It used to, it's a big brick uh, brewery, beautiful building. I mean, it's been around for about twenty five years, but it was owned by uh, uh, another brewer, and I guess they decided they were going to move out. And Sam Adams said, "Ooh, that looks just right for us," and they moved in, and the rest yeah. is history. Um, I'm still with the Rednecks, White Sox, and Blue Ribbon beer. <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't had a good beer in in a long time. Probably before the pandemic. You know, I just uh, hey, a lot of things have changed since the pandemic, and uh, just wait until the next pandemic and see what changes then. Oh, yes, you, you that should be coming be along any time now. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, got an election coming up, so damn, I bet you we do have something. Well, they. You know what? You got the flesh eating uh, uh, bacteria. Yeah, bacteria. You've got the uh, ringworms that'll eat right through you, and you can't. You sounds know, like, sounds like a bad Japanese movie, doesn't it? You know, well, unfortunately, 50s. it's an American movie, and yeah. uh, you might be the next star. Just <laughs> hey, Elon Musk recently appeared on CNBC, and and uh, he schooled a reporter who questioned some of the things he tweets about. This is Elon Musk and that CNBC reporter. You know, you do some tweets that seem to be, or at least give support to some who would call others conspiracy theories. Well, yes, but I mean, honestly, you know, some of these conspiracy theories uh, have turned out to be true. Which ones? Well, like the, the Hunter Biden laptop. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that 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 was a pretty big deal. There was Twitter and 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 others engaged in active suppression of information that was relevant to the public. Um, that's that's a that's a terrible thing that happened. That's election right. interference. Election interference, huh? <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Did you hear the reporter? Which ones? Like, gotcha. And Musk came right back. Well, the Hunter laptop. Oh yeah. yeah, that's true. Oh, that's true. Yeah, okay. But the the reporter thought I got him. You know, he made a statement and he had no uh, nothing to back it up with, and he figured, ah, I'm going to make him pay for that. And well, uh, you know, I'm glad that Elon actually, you know, came loaded for the hunt mm. because that's what the left expects. They'll throw a question out you don't think you don't know it's coming, and you're not prepared because. You know, you got to prepare for any test, and they're testing you publicly, and they want to use take that soundbite and yeah. make you look like an idiot and sell their story. You know, Musk is also he's not happy with people uh, working from home. You know, he 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 doesn't think you know this work from home with your laptop. Now there are a lot of businesses where you don't need to be in the office place. You can work from home, but uh, I do get the idea that you should go in. Uh, into the office place. It's probably better to, you're more productive and less distracted, theoretically, in office. But he says those people that work from home in their laptops, they're living in la-la land. So He just 
uh, announced a new CEO for Twitter. Her name is Linda Yaccarino, and she is coming over from NBC. And, really? And a lot of people are saying, what are you doing, Elon? We, we just thought that you were coming around and seeing the light, and all of a sudden you seem to be putting somebody from the far left into a position of power. And he tweeted back, well, give her a chance. Give her a chance. Um, she is somebody who is probably not on his page uh, politically, but I, he didn't hire her for that. He hired her to be the business CEO, the person who you know watches the bottom line and uh, maybe creates uh, more revenue for the company. He's going to stay on as the head of technology and research and, I guess, programs. Uh, but mm-hmm. here's a little bit of uh, Linda Yaccarino. This is from a, a 2020 uh, interview. Listen. I can talk about, you know, things that that my company is doing to accelerate, right, to accelerate what we were doing already, but realizing that it wasn't enough. So what immediately started happening was that uh, under the leadership of Brian Roberts and Jeff Schell, uh, Comcast set up a fund to the value of $100 million to fight social justice and equality. And, and obviously supporting many, many important groups. But it really made a very public statement that we're gonna put our money where our mouth is, we're not going anywhere, and it inspired action across every corner of our company. Because what it also did was made leadership of our company accountable. We have this $100 million, what are you mm-hmm. doing? What's the update? Where are you with that? But it also gave a lot of us opportunity to say, here's our update, how can you help? What, would you, what do you think we should be doing, right? So I think it's very exciting, and there's been a lot of exciting, uh, um, exciting steps of progress at our company. Because for a lot of companies, we needed to take a moment and actually open our aperture. I'll use maybe a TV or a film reference to say, okay, we thought we were doing enough. Clearly, we weren't. So then we had to make sure we were taking the right steps to direct funds towards the right organizations, to make a public statement of accountability like Cesar Conde, our new chairman of news, who made a public statement that was confronting editorial bias and saying, my division, our news division, the biggest news division in the country is going to be 50% women and 50% people of color. Ambitious goals? Yes. No doubt about it, but a statement, a stake in the ground with accountability. And I'm happy to say there's many, many other uh, uh, examples of progress at, at our company, divisions like mine, working with Ad Color and T. Howard Foundation. So there's so many examples of us trying to listen, learn, but do. And, 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 and I'll say the do, I'll say where, where our goal is really to be intentional about uh, when we go back and give those report outs that we're accountable and we're accountable uh, and we can report a progress and that we're proud uh, of what we're doing. So I, I think it's an exciting time that's come out of such adversity for so many people. That's Linda Yaccarino. She's the, uh, she's the new chairman of Twitter. 
CEO right. of Twitter and uh, chief executive officer, not chairman. I'm sorry. Uh, I think he retains that. Um, she obviously comes from a woke organization. She's talking with great pride about all these social things. You know, this is a, this is somebody who was a CEO, a, somebody who was in business, and you would have thought she would have spent most of her time talking about how to make more money for the business. But in that in that two and a half minutes that we just heard, as she's talking with great pride about all these wonderful social things that uh, that NBC and Comcast were doing, and I thought, you know, this is not maybe the right person. I don't think for for what. Uh, he's looking for in Twitter. Obviously they've had great discussions. So, and we're not privy to this. So maybe there's a lot more to her than the, that two and a half minutes that he knows about. Well, you know, when you take a job in management, uh, like in our arena, it might've been programming or something like that. You march to a corporate agenda, unless you walk in and they go, they're going, okay, we need a total change and revamping. like what you're doing. And you come in with certain business practices and whatnot. But other than that, you know, NBC probably sat there and was going, well, you know, we've got everything that uh, we want to be. Uh, we just want you to promote this. And that they, they made that her focus. That's possibly what it is. And she was good at, you know, following that focus of what they wanted. People who uh, are on Twitter who had great hopes for it becoming more of a an open platform. A lot of people are expressing their concerns. Uh, one of the things that was uh, trending was RIP Twitter, meaning, you know, it was a nice two months or three months, but that's that. You know? I don't think Elon would do anything that would sabotage what he bought and is trying. Twitter was not a profit uh, uh, center of the world. And so. And you probably, we wouldn't even be talking about it now if Elon Musk uh, were not there. I mean, he got it back in the forefront, and now he needs somebody that knows how to, you know, make that thing a profit center. Because at the end of the day, Elon's going to look at the bottom line. And he knows that wokeism is not going to pay their bills. And I'm sure this woman knows it too. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that he knows that she knows how to position it to where it can sit there. And when I say position it, I'm not talking about re-changing the formula here. I'm talking about, you know, work with it to where it goes out and gets its fair market share and makes money. I have um, another piece of audio from her interviewing Elon Musk from, I guess, a year ago. Mm -hmm. I will save that for tomorrow's program because I thought are you I would... saying we're out of time? Yes, we are, but we 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 never don't have time for a Bidenism. Oh, yesterday he was uh, he was speaking in the White House at the Jewish American Heritage, um, I guess, luncheon, and uh, Joe, in all of his lucidity. All of his clarity said the following. And I also want to thank our special guest, uh, um, uh, Michelle, uh, who uh, ensure that uh, today's uh, t today is both a d delicious and uh, a glad kosher. Um, where I don't know where the chef is. There you are. Well, stand up, man. Yeah, stand up, man. First of all, he called the chef Michelle. 
and yeah. it's not a big deal. Its name is Michael. Uh, <laughs> Michelle, Michael. Well, you know, uh, it's an easy confusion. I mean, look at the former president and his wife. That's true. <laughs> we'll talk about that on another show. Uh, well, no, there that, was one time that oh, Barack kn- referred to his wife as Michael, so there you go. But, but, it's but, easy to do. But uh, if you, I got pictures that may have add some truth to that. Uh, the chef's name is uh, Michael Solomanoff, and the White House uh, recruited James Beard winning uh, chef Michael Samanov, uh, who specializes in Israeli cuisine to design the menu for Tuesday's celebration. So uh, when he called, where's the chef? Where's Michelle? <laughs> hey. What was the guy's last name? Michael uh, Salamanoff. Well, you oh, want to, well, you want me to keep Salmonella, so. You want to keep. <laughs> I think that's his cousin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, I think we're just about done. You can reach us at 833-538-7868. 833-538-7868. Mail at itsanotherday.com. Mail at itsanotherday.com. There's mail at crnamerica.com. Mail at your name dot whatever. I don't know. And then Joe but- said. <laughs> You know, a good running mate for Joe, if he were uh, still alive, uh, not Joe, but I mean the running mate, would have been Foster Brooks. That's right. That's right. (laughs) After what I just heard him say. Have a great day, Bill. Adios. The Voice of Freedom, CRN America. These days, when you want an answer about just about anything, you ask Alexa. You ask her about the weather. You ask her who won your favorite sporting event. You ask her to find a fact that you can't find anywhere. Well, we did that too. We asked her how many people have downloaded itsanotherday.com. And this is what she said. From acceleration.com. It has been downloaded as much as 260,433,467 times. I know. Seems like a lot. Seems like a lot to us, too. But it's Alexa. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And tell your friends about itsanotherday.com. We could use an extra listener. I mean, what do you do when you only have 260 million?